and while he only appeared in season one of The Punisher, he was a vital figure in, in, in Karen. Karen? Whoa. Still on the castle brain. My brain castle <laughs> Okay. He was a vital figure in Frank's life. Dear Lord. Welcome to Breakfast at the Beanery, a bi-weekly podcast about superheroes. I'm Becca. I'm Mika, and we're glad you're joining us as we break down our latest superhero obsessions. Follow us at BatBeanery on Twitter, at BreakfastBeanery on Instagram and Tumblr, and of course, you can check out our episodes on Castos and our website, www.breakfastbeanery.com. We've been looking at Netflix's The Punisher for almost two months now. But if I could keep looking, I would. Frank Castle kind of took over us. We have so much we want to cover, but we'll be wrapping up our commentary with a character analysis. Well, three analyses. It's the three-in-one deal you never asked for. We're going to explore three crucial characters and how they relate to each other. We'll also be looking at what makes them important for the story and for Frank's characterization, as well as their motivations and what makes them stand out. We're talking, of course, about Billy Russo, Curtis Hoyle, and David Lieberman. Curtis and Billy are introduced to us as Frank's brothers-in-arms. They toured together, and if this were, say, a rom-com or something, they'd probably be a really great triangle of friends. But it's not. And dear God, I wish it was. David is the outlier. He was previously working as an NSA, NSA, yeah, I can talk, NSA analyst, where he stumbled upon the video depicting Agent Zubair's death. He challenged himself to do the right thing, and he forwarded it to, forwarded it to, I'm sorry, to Tina, (laughs) trusting her with the information. (laughs) This put a target on his back, and he was forced to fake his death and go into hiding to protect himself and his family, so he spends all of his time in a hideout, looking up the conspiracy relating to Kandahar and Frank Castle. And by now we know that Billy was Frank's best friend. He was basically part of his family. Billy was close to and accepted by Maria and the kids. And Frank genuinely thought he had, thought they had, not he, a strong underchan, under, I can't talk either. (laughs) Frank genuinely thought they had a strong understanding of each other, but Billy sold them out for wealth and power. And ultimately Frank stripped that from him as well as the power of his beauty. For a narcissist like Billy, the loss of these things crumbles him, and he dies by the end of the series. Spoiler alert. <laughs> you guys should, everybody, everybody should know that. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, you should know that. And if you didn't, we're not really sorry. sorry. <laughs> Curtis is Frank's other brother, and in many ways more reliable than Billy. If Billy is a brilliant burst of fire, Curtis is a steady lighter. Throughout the series, Curtis leads a support group for veterans in the basement of a church. He's generally very grounded and empathetic, extending extending, see, extending a hand not only to Frank, but to Billy, Lewis, Amy, and others. He always finds himself in trouble for his friends, but he's incredibly loyal and doesn't back down from his duty. That said, part of his struggle in the series is supporting Frank while maintaining his own identity. It sounds like we're about to break these characters down. Before we do that, let's see what other people are saying. Cue! Best of Twitterature. Back this episode. Alright, so one last time, go follow at Save Punisher if you'd like to support 
the return of the show, please. We want to see John Bernthal on our screens again. We definitely do. A lot of what makes a character thrive is how the audience perceives them. So let's see what people are saying about our guys. Do you want to go first or shall I go first? You can go first. Okay, so I pulled like one thing from each for each character. So the first one for Curtis uh, is from at Anakin Spaton. Anakin Spat on Spaton. I don't know how they want me to read that, <laughs> but they're on Twitter, and they basically said that Jason Moore, Curtis Hoyle, the greatest addition in the MCU Marvel Netflix fam. Curtis Hoyle is the type of person ready to lend a hand to those he cares about, and is the best supporter ever. We truly don't deserve Jason nor Curtis, which I think is a. Uh, very true for us on this rewatch too. I think we had a lot of appreciation for him this, you know, after rewatching it again and again and again. Mm-hmm, for sure. This person actually had comments about most of the characters from the series, but I felt like the Curtis one stood out the most. I also like their David one, but I wanted to go to a different platform for, for David, which was on Tumblr, I think. So this is from Tumblr user. <laughs> More hats. More uh, hats. Cool. More hats. Same. David and Frank are best friends. You can't change my mind. And it's true. They really are. They're like college best friends. Like if this was a buddy cop sort of, if they did a movie like 21 Jump Street together, yes. it's it's that kind of dynamic, I feel. There was, I was, when I was looking for stuff on Tumblr, there was this series of edits that someone was making and I didn't save them. So I don't know who it was where it was called like two dead guys because they're dead in the series oh. um and it was just them like doing sitcom conversations it was cute oh my god that's definitely their that. dynamic i feel like once yeah, you break I need it to down. watch that the last one i pulled for billy is from youtube so i can read the the first comment here and then you can read that last one because they're both important so the first one is from rj macready macready It's weird how Billy always sounded so full of reverence when speaking about Frank to others. That's why I was legitimately surprised when he was revealed to be in on the whole thing. I thought his arc towards Jigsaw would be more like him falling to the dark side as opposed to already being a psychopath. You never see a psych- you never see a psycho. You never see a sociopath coming, that's the point. And then another person responded, Billy's a great character because as much as he admires and loves Frank and his family, He just loved himself more. Yeah, I think that really nails, like, how I've come to understand Billy. Like, Ben brings a warmth to the character that makes you question how he could really dismiss the castles the way that he did. So SL kind of nailed that, like, he prioritized himself. And we know there's a lot of negative opinions, too, for the record. Yeah, I found a lot (laughs) while looking for these. I think mostly we want to keep a positive attitude about the media we watch, and especially on this podcast, because there's something good to take out of it. Hell, we still watched Gotham all the way through, despite (laughs) the things And we are trudging through Smallville as we speak. Trudging. It's worth noting that we're approaching these characters as they are in the show and the show alone. So we aren't looking through a lens established by the comics because I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have that level of expertise. Mm -hmm. I'm just a girl. Just a girl. Just a girl. Just a girl watching The Punisher. Yeah. (laughs) Multiple times. The cast and the producers have said several times that it show, the show takes on its own life. So the adaptation is recognizable and strong, even if it's not quite like the source material. 
Yeah, and in any case, we had a good time. So before we break into the details of it all, let's cut into our beanery-inspired snack break segment. I do actually have tea right now, though it's almost gone. I need to invest in it because I think if we start it with a drink, it's going to feel so good. We need to invest in like tea and cookies and beanery things. Like <laughs> the atmosphere, like we're in a, well, not a Starbucks, but <laughs> a beanery. <laughs> What, what do you think we would get if we were Clark and Lana at the beanery in Smallville? Um, okay. I think that Clark is a simple double-double, or for the non-Canadians out here, uh, a simple two-cream, two-sugar kind of himbo. And then Lana is a caramel macchiato gal, or black coffee. But those are just like, honestly, those are my... <laughs> coffee orders, caramel macchiato, or black coffee, so who knows really. I mean, last episode I started off with a cup of tea, and it was like a really good vibe, so I kind of regret not doing that for this episode. Getting a tea. Getting a tea? Yeah, yeah getting a tea. <laughs> <laughs> I, we have, I actually have some, I just don't, I haven't made it for this. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I don't drink coffee, so... <laughs> I need, I need, I like, I have no idea what people would drink. I need just some black tea and some, I could really go for like a croissant or something. I, I, I'm also realizing that this segment as a standalone segment would be great for a sponsor if we had one. Put code BEAN10, BEAN10 for 10% at checkout. I don't know what you're checking out, but... You can I also don't know code. where you'd check it you out. You can try that. <laughs> you can just like put it in somewhere. I don't know. Bean 10. Ben 10? Bean 10. Ben, ben 10. Maybe we can cover wow. Ben 10 on here someday. Oh my god, please. I've never We're like Danny Phantom. <gasps> yeah, those would count. Yeah. They're superheroes. Exactly. <laughs> now that you put in your code for 10% off, <sighs> let's get things started with our analysis. And I'd like to kick things off by diving into one of our favorite fictional hackers, David Lieberman. And while he only appeared in season one of The Punisher, he was a vital figure in, in, in Karen. Karen? Whoa. Still on the castle, Am brain. I Frank Castle? Oh, okay. <laughs> he was a vital figure in Frank's life. Dear Lord. Because narratively, he acts as an echo or foil to our sad skull man. Or... Sad Skull Boy? Sad Skull Boy checks out. Yeah. So David, I feel, he's largely driven by the need to protect those he loves. And this is clearly why he hides the fact that he's still alive. But I also feel like that's a result of his very valid fear that his family's not going to accept him for what he's Mm. done. One of my favorite episodes this season for him was episode four, Resupply, when David crashes into Dina's car after she and Frank play an intense game of chicken. And throughout the episode, we see Frank and David confront each other, calling each other's flaws out. For Frank, it's the way he denies having a code or ethos, putting himself in a position of authority over others. And then for David, it's his inaction and lack of follow through. So they're opposites. But I would say that Frank isn't too impulsive. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because he would rather like he's still methodical yeah. but he would rather um he would rather choose hard action than like just sitting back and waiting right. behind a screen and david is sort of the same he does the dirty work when he needs to but the difference is he'll piss himself out of anxiety along the way <laughs> which is very relatable also, yeah that's and very also true. very adorable and hilarious to watch because it's relatable imagine being and- like if someone pissed themselves that was adorable like <laughs> 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 That's not what I'm Somehow. saying. I'm sorry. <laughs> Somehow I find that. Cute. No, it is. No. Anxiety is adorable. He, yeah, it's like weirdly, it's weirdly attractive. Anyways, relatable. At one point, Frank compares David and his gun maintenance, or lack thereof, to a kid who asks for a dog but doesn't take responsibility of the dog. And then David's like, it's for show. And Frank answers, where I come from, that isn't for show. It's the difference between life and death. So not only do we see them at odds verbally, but when Sarah Lieberman calls Frank, or as she knows him, Pete Castiglione, for some help, David holds their entire mission hostage, according to Frank. And what makes this exchange interesting is how Frank, annoyed, asks David, you're going to hold this mission hostage over a headlight? And later we know that Frank sets everything aside when Lewis threatens Karen Page and he even brings up Sarah. That's just another castle tease though, but I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I, I think we've mentioned that scene every episode the last three episodes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's, it's just, just been like, like stands in your head. I don't know. My brain, yeah. And yeah. We've gone into the parallels between Castle and um, Dara, I guess. Is that their ship name? Dara? David and Sarah. In any case, we know that their relationships parallel each other. So naturally, David and Frank would. But more than that, I really can't think of a better way to express this than to just like call upon Lucius, Fox, and Enigma's thing from Gotham uh, in that they are a reflection of each other, not just a parallel. Yeah. <laughs> Gotham feels. Okay. Um, if I can break that down without like fumbling over my words, I mean that they parallel each other through say their love for their family or the way they strive to do the right thing we don't see many characters outright yearn for family the way that we see these two do like there are instances in different shows like daredevil maybe highlight some of it but in the punisher we don't see the yearning right um dina has her family for sure but it's like it, it isn't emphasized the same way like the way that David literally stares at a computer screen, like desperate for his family. Um, and their urge to do the right thing has effectively landed them in the same position. So they're ghosts, dead to the world, separated from the people they love. And to that point, they're really not doing anything to get closer to these people either. Like Frank's pushing people away and David's just kind of chilling in his hideout but it's because they want to keep these people safe David's distance echoes Frank's and where they echo each other they're also kind of like staring back at one another like Mm. your reflection is you sure but it's mirrored so it's like you said David is anxiety he's the real world response to gore and cruelty in that he's repulsed and we see that and we can connect with it and it's kind of adorable as you said and attractive because we don't see that in many characters even characters like Karen 
who have nervousness like charge headfirst into trouble. <laughs> so um, he's really relatable in that way, but he's very different from Frank in that way. Um, and Frank pushes him to improve upon that, to be more well-rounded. I think that's kind of a natural response he has to a character like David. David can sit comfortably behind a computer and taunt him from a distance, but when it comes to like being there for his family, can he step up for them? Can he do what he has to to keep them safe? Yeah, and we, we see later in the season that he can and he does. Right. But David makes Frank better, too, so it's not just Frank. Uh, mm-hmm. Or at least he tries, much like Curtis and Karen try. They try to make him be more open. But unlike Karen and Curtis, he isn't afraid to, like, flat-out insult him to make a point. I think that Karen and Curtis can be hard with him, but I feel like David's the one that's, like, rude. <laughs> they fight each other, but it's only ever to push each other to be better, which is why they feel like best friends. Also, Frank is generally seen as someone to get his hands dirty, that dives in head first, where David is the type to kind of, that seems the type to develop a complex plan, like when he's um, trying to get in touch with Frank, but not letting him see him, like that's very complex. Um, It's just funny because Frank's actually a quick thinker and also (laughs) thinks of these plans pretty in depth and, and often, you know, in the moment he has to kind of pivot and he does that really well um whereas david's very impulsive <laughs> he yeah. like that impulsivity repeatedly gets him into trouble and frank has to work with him on it but as frank starts to care more for the liebermans he does his part to like stop david from acting too quickly um there's like a scene later in the season where he try he, he's like ready to see his kids he's tired of not being like being able to connect to them but frank keeps him back so he can keep a clear head and not get them into trouble. They really are best friends. It's very fitting that Frank dreams of a shared meal between their families because he can see how well they work together. Yeah, they bring out the best in each other. Also really cool to see Frank interacting with the Liebermans as a whole. We know that he and his daughter Lisa had a very close relationship, so seeing him interact with Leo Lieberman is kind of kind of hurtful. <laughs> but it also goes to show how he empowers women where he can. So when he sees Leo working under the sink, he doesn't take over. He simply assists her and he calls her a future engineer. He even says, you don't have to call a guy anymore, you have Leo. He really said, I am going to empower the ladies in my life. I mean, if you look at the way he treats Dina, Amy, and of course Karen, it all lines up. All this and his willingness to read a book on feminist theory that was just kind of lying around in David's hideout. That one line, you don't have to call a guy anymore, is also followed by this pause where we see both David and Sarah consider the possible romantic undertones. And that's another thing, both men here are complete softies, Mm -hmm. but David is so unflinchingly open with how he feels. We see him tense with jealousy, several times I would say, and we also see him ask, why do you have Sarah's number? Yeah, it plays off of that impulsiveness, like he just Mm -hmm. reacts. (laughs) The thing is, (laughs) it doesn't feel entirely like he's jealous of what Frank and Sarah could have, at least not at first so much as he starts out jealous that Frank gets to have these moments with his family that he's not able to have. And it's because Frank is willing to get out there, right? 
Whereas David's been hiding in this hideout for months, watching them from behind lenses, the good and the bad, the worst of their grief. And Frank comes in and he's like the one helping them heal. So it hurts. And he wants to be that person. And in that way, he fights to be a better father and husband in the end. Yeah. If David bases his life and identity off his family, off those he who he loves, then I think that Frank bases his identity off of what he's lost, who he's lost. And when it comes to the other men we're going to be discussing, Curtis bases his identity on who he is intrinsically, on his character. He wants as much as possible to get away from this notion that all he'll ever amount to is a veteran. Right. He spends much of the first season trying to get Lewis to move on past that idea. When he comes to visit him in his bunker, Lewis talks about his injury, Curtis's injury, like it's a symbol, something to be proud of, and Curtis calls him out on it. And he says, are you listening to yourself? I got nothing over there. I lost it. He tries to show Lewis the reality of his situation. He lost a literal limb during his service, but Lewis is almost envious because that's where his comfort lies in like being seen as someone who served, right? So Curtis knows that. He's the first to call out Lewis, Billy, and Frank for where their heads are at. And he tells Lewis, when you look in the mirror, you still see a soldier. It establishes that he doesn't see himself only as a soldier. That is, Curtis appreciates what he's done in the past. He appreciates the relationships he's gotten out of it, but he's focused on moving forward. So we see him struggling with that in season two, which is a great development of his characterization. In season one, Curtis spends so much time telling everyone else they deserve a chance to move forward and appreciate themselves. And in season two, he has to push himself to do the same. It's a struggle, one that almost costs him his friendship with Frank, but as always, he pushes forward because that's what he does. Yeah, and it's Curtis whose thought on self-reflection is what Frank settles on at the end of the first season. So I believe it was in the season premiere, or the series premiere, he speaks about looking into the mirror and being honest about who you are. And then in Memento Mori, which is the season one finale, Frank sits down at his group and he says just that. If you want to look at yourself, really look at yourself, you have to be able to admit who you are to everybody else. And who is Curtis? He's a nurturer. He wants to look out for Frank. He wants Billy to be okay, even if they're being idiots. Oh, and they are idiots a lot. (laughs) (laughs) When it comes to his best friends, Billy and Frank, he might seem like a third wheel. But in reality, he's kind of the heart of their friendships. Billy leans on Curtis just as much as Frank does, but they both keep him at like a comfortable distance. They rely on him when they need to, and he offers support, but it's their inability to move on from the brotherhood they felt in the military that ultimately separates them from Curtis. They make it their identity, or in Frank's case now, he makes the Punisher his identity, and Curtis is the one saying, you can be more than that. Yes, exactly. See, where Curtis wants to shed this label of veteran or soldier, he wants to move past that, Billy wants to wrap himself up in it. So in his speech to Anvil recruits, he glorifies what they've done. He sort of pushes for that isolation from the rest of the world. He doesn't want to integrate. He doesn't want that community. Not really. He would rather profit off of the idea that all he is, all he can ever be, is that veteran. He even says that fighting is what they could live for. When it comes down to it, Billy Russo wants to bring everyone else to his level, where the only facet of his identity is what he doesn't have. We know that's why he was willing to sacrifice Frank's family. 
He didn't have money. He didn't have power or family of his own. You see this all throughout his interactions with others, the way he charms crowds, the way he charms Dina. Yeah. And yet we can still see on some level a glimmer of empathy or actual investment. Yeah, you, you really can. Ben brought his A-game when fleshing out Billy Russo. We learn through the two seasons that he lacks empathy and seeks power, right? This idea of him being a narcissist is not only encouraged through his therapy, but characters often point out how pretty he is or how people fall for him really easily. Like we see this a lot in the flashbacks with him and Frank in episode three, but that facade crumbles entirely when we see him visit his neglectful mother. The scene begins by highlighting him getting ready. So it's the crisp suit, he shines his shoes. It's all very focused on his image. Um, and he comes to her just to show her that he's better without her. So in the end, uh, he even plays on that manipulation, holding her hand like tenderly, like the same way we see him treat other people, right? Very gentle. But he says, I'd have given you anything you ever wanted if you just wanted me. And it's, it's almost a threat. Like it's too late. He's yeah. been scorned by her. She could, it doesn't matter if she were to try to be better now, he will not let her like yeah yeah that's it weirdly i think that's part of what makes him so enchanting because when it's good it's good without context if you watch the scene where he bathes dina after the gutting loss of sam her partner you would think that he's just being a very tender and devoted boyfriend but we all know except for dina at this point that he's the very person who killed sam without even batting an eye and this gesture is kind of like a classic narcissist move mm -hmm. and i wouldn't say that he's suffering from narcissistic narcissist personality disorder or anything like that but he definitely is is narcissistic in moments he has his moments yeah. he's like if mr darcy was dorian gray his good opinion once lost is lost forever <laughs> on that note there's also another really important image that we discussed briefly last episode through frank uh we see billy reading oscar wilde's the picture of dorian gray in that third episode flashback mm -hmm. for anyone that doesn't know this is a perfect illusion for billy Dorian is also a narcissistic character, loved by everyone and driven by his lust for power and wealth. He sells his soul for immortality and it eventually bites him in the ass. Sound familiar? Exactly. Aside from the narcissism though, there's more to draw from this comparison. In the novel, Dorian is something of a blank canvas when we meet him. He really doesn't have much of a personality, but he's shaped by those around him. When influenced by someone hedonistic, he leans into that and vice versa. Like if there's some, there's a character that's maybe kinder, so he leans into playing that kind of role. Billy kind of lives the same way. Mm -hmm. You can see how he mimics Frank in a lot of their flashback scenes when they're close in the, in the military, in the Marines. And even when Frank is his enemy, there's a lot he draws on. It's unclear at times whether he actually cares or whether he's playing pretend. Like, it would be easy to say that he doesn't actually care for any of these characters, but he does. <laughs> I, mean, like, I believe that he does. He shows up for Curtis in episode four, going out of his way to confront Lewis at Anvil even if it wouldn't benefit him, like it, it's going right. to be a negative confrontation that could put him right. in danger. But he does it because Curtis asked and he's loyal to Curtis, but he was loyal to Frank too, but he wasn't. <laughs> so it's really hard. <laughs> yes. 
He has this way of expressing love and empathy without sincerity and often with like cruel undertones like you said earlier with his mom. And Ben himself said that the scene where he's washing Frank's wounds near the end of the season is supposed to mimic that same scene where he's in the bath with Dina. Again, to really drive it home here, he's the reason they're hurting, but he takes care of them. It's what torments characters like Dina in the second season because he felt so real. And honestly, I might get emotional just talking about this because I feel like even if not all of us have dealt with a narcissist like Billy who would betray us to the point that our family is brutally murdered. Yeah, that's intense. <laughs> yeah, not exactly a common shared experience. No. <laughs> um, I would argue a lot of us have dealt with someone like this where the relationship ends and we really have to sit there and wonder if any of it was real to begin with. And I know I asked myself this every time I rewatched the show, particularly in the scenes with Frank's family, like that one flashback with the kids and Maria in Central Park. That very day that they died. Was any of it real at all? Did he mourn them for real? Yeah, there's, you know, and you see the characters question that too. There's the scene where, in season two, where Frank is talking to Curtis and he's basically mm -hmm. like, maybe it would have been different if I showed up for him, right? Mm -hmm. if, you, if you, like, asked him about it, dove a little deeper with him. Like, those are things that tell us as an audience that Billy is not just cruel right like he's more i'm gonna lean on the word complex he's more complex than that yeah <laughs> feels like such a buzzword but <laughs> <laughs> it's also worth pointing out why despite all three of them these guys willing to show up for frank at some point why Billy is the one that becomes his nemesis. So Frank was always closest to him anyway, which makes it hurt worse. But the thing is, Curtis and David call Frank out for his bullshit. When he gets stuck in this stubborn, hard-ass routine, they're willing to help, but not without encouraging him to grow or grow out of it. Billy doesn't have an interest in that. Billy likes Frank at his most violent, I think because it encourages his own darkness. Right. In the final fight between Rollins and Frank, he, ba he practically swoons over it, saying that <laughs> we put this on our Instagram, that I love to watch you work, which is such a great <laughs> quote, right? There's this like dark romantic aspect for Billy. Like he clings to what makes them the same and he yearns for that, but Frank is grounded in this mission. So like, they're just not on the same page. Um, it's Billy's ability to draw empathy out of others that keeps him alive at all, even if it was originally out of spite. Like, Frank was willing to let him suffer alive, which is simultaneously a merciful release from his vengeance and a fate worse than death. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. You ever just, you ever just vibe with narrative mastery? Right. I really feel like these three men, David, Curtis, and Billy, intertwined so seamlessly with Frank and I think that that strength also lent itself to why maybe we had a huge critique for the second yeah. season because we knew that they did this in the first season we know that they did great with these characters actually before I wrap that thought up what you just said about Billy and Frank and his like swooning over Frank's darkness mm -hmm. made me think of Matt and Electra yeah, that's actually a really good comparison, yeah. I just, I really, yeah, you people, know what? People do ship it, and they it. like Matt and Electra because it yeah. feels raw and it feels passionate. 
And you get that with Frank and Billy too. Absolutely. Anyways, I just think that was like such a cool parallel to draw upon. There's, that's, I think that's another aspect why Billy and Curtis feels different because like, <laughs> we're going to draw comparisons. Uh, Billy, Billy feels like Frank's Electra, but Curtis is maybe like his Karen to Matt or something, you know, oh, like it's, it's just, okay, yeah, no, I feel that closer to like the best friend that actually will support you or like foggy to Matt, more like foggy to Matt, foggy, foggy to Matt. Yeah. I guess, I guess David would kind of, we're getting too complicated with this. The point is <laughs> it's a little different there. I know that the reason we thought of this episode was because there are these, if I could map out the lines for how David, Curtis, and Billy reflect one another or are very different, especially for the core character in the middle, Frank, like, it's very unique. There's a lot of overlap, but they each have their distinct plot lines and distinct roles. And, like, right. Curtis kind of falls flat because he doesn't really get to explore his identity until season two. And even then, he doesn't get much in season two but like you said he's the nurturer that's the role he plays in season one mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i feel like i feel like we had a lot to say a lot more to say than what we did yeah. but it's been a long couple of weeks so <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, um, bring yeah. it on home the bottom line is is that each character had a purpose for both the story and for frank yeah and as you can tell we love to invest in them all even goddamn billy russo <laughs> even him so there's that those are most of our punisher thoughts thank you for tuning in for the last month or so <laughs> you already know we'll probably come back to these characters at some point they're just so ingrained in us <laughs> i'm sure we might have another castle episode down the line. honestly <laughs> it just sticks to you but thank you for joining us today check out our socials at bat beanery at breakfast beanery breakfastbeanery.tumblr.com and breakfastbeanery.com also we are constantly finding new ways to experiment and explore the way we do this series or this podcast so we might implement more changes moving forward i really don't think any one episode is kind of the same as another so if you have any suggestions uh please email us at breakfastbeanerypodcast at gmail.com suggestions can include episode ideas or something you'd like to hear us talk about and maybe even things you think we can improve so in two weeks we'll be soaring back to gotham where we'll ask ourselves why are the gotham writers so afraid of love Uh, we just have a lot of feelings about it i'm still frustrated about it and you'll get to hear that in two weeks so see you then thank you bye